Welcome to the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. In this series, I'll be talking to business leaders from across the world of work who will be sharing their expertise to help you effectively lead your business, both now and in the future. Diversity and inclusion continues to be a top priority for business leaders around the world, and quite rightly so. After all, ecosystems thrive on diversity, and the world of business is no different. But the journey to building a truly diverse and inclusive workplace can often be a long and daunting one. Today, we're joined by Sandra Henke, Group Head of People and Culture here at Hayes, who will share her advice to help those looking to drive forward the diversity agenda within their own organisations. Hi, Sandra, and thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Megan. Thank you very much for having me. Not at all. So, to kick off, what do we really mean by diversity and inclusion in the workplace? It's actually a really good question. I think it's very easy for us to start that conversation with gender and race for obvious reasons. But diversity isn't just about that. It goes far beyond that. It's essentially about embracing difference. It's about valuing, recognising, embracing, respecting, including individual difference and believing that that can add value to our workplace. There's a great analogy that I think works really well when talking about diversity and inclusion. If we think of diversity as being invited to a party and inclusion actually being asked to dance when you get there. And another helpful way of thinking about it, which is very real for all of us, thinking about a time when we've personally felt excluded. And you'll find that the experiences you think of don't necessarily have anything to do with your race or your gender. And no doubt there are people in every organisation who are feeling exactly the same right now. And as a result, perhaps not being as engaged or productive as they could be. But diversity standing on its own is not enough. It's a great place to start, but it's not enough. Inclusion is about building a culture where everyone feels included, obviously, and that they belong, essentially that they've been invited to dance at that party we were talking about before. Thanks, Sandra. That's a really great analogy. So in your role as Group Head of People and Culture at Hayes, I'm sure this topic is particularly close to your heart. Why is that? Well, it is, actually. I mean, every organisation wants really talented people who are engaged and productive, who can thrive and flourish in that organisation because everyone wins, everyone benefits from from the macro level of society to the employee to the organisation. Another reason I'm very passionate about it is our clients want our help. So as a partner to big corporates or small organisations, we're being asked for our expertise in this space and guidance every single day. Now, clearly, we can't provide that expertise to our customer base if we don't have our own diversity and inclusion story to tell. From a broader societal aspect, we have a role to play as a market leader and as a people business. And I'm excited that we are part of that broader conversation, both internally and externally. And of course, it makes absolute business sense for our people to reflect our customer base, particularly as a people business. So all of those things are very, very important to us. You're clearly incredibly passionate about this subject. Can you tell us a little bit about Hayes's diversity and inclusion journey to date? Sure. Look, I'm very proud of the culture we have at Hayes. We describe it as high performance. We describe it as a true meritocracy. So we really don't care about people's backgrounds if they deliver the results that we need to for our customers. 
but that doesn't mean we're perfect, right? So we're on a journey and it really is just that. We're very much on the road and we've done a few things to help push this agenda along a little bit. One is three years ago, we created a role of Global Head of Diversity uh, and that role's objective is to make sure that we're driving diversity and inclusion across our business sharing great practice around the 33 countries we operate in, but also to interface externally with the market, to stay on top of what's going on in terms of initiatives in the, in the diversity inclusion space, talking to the very best providers in this space and to share that information with our customers and internally. I'm really proud of the fact that we've been accredited with the National Equality Standard in the UK very recently. There's one of only 20 organisations and that's considered the gold standard of diversity and inclusion culturally from an organisational culture point of view. We also work very hard in Spain, for example, partnering with Inspiring Girls, which is a very high profile mentorship program for young women in Spain. Other examples include working very actively with the Male Champions for Change program in Australia and the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience. One other example is we, we won the Award of Disability Recruiter of the Year in Italy in the last 12 months. Those are just some examples to show that it's firmly on our agenda. We, we've got a lot more to do. This is a continual evolution. It's a journey and recognise we could do more, but I'm very excited about where we are right now. In your opinion, what progress has been made generally in the world of work? And has there been enough? Well, we've just celebrated 125 years of women having the vote in New Zealand and 100 years of suffrage in the UK. We've come a long way in that time. And I certainly believe we're having conversations today in workplaces we wouldn't even have had two or three years ago. So progress is happening. Talent pools are more diverse. Hiring is more diverse. The process and practices around that are changing. But every single country is at a different stage of maturity in terms of employment. And that's definitely what we're seeing across our 33 countries and across certain industries. More progress is to be made, but plenty is going on. I still think that diversity inclusion can be seen as a problem to be solved so that you can get on with other things. And that's absolutely not the approach we've taken here at Hayes. We've seen it as a conversation to have and a gentle shifting of culture rather than trying to fix any particular issue or problem. There's still work to do in terms of businesses really looking at the reality within their businesses and having very mature and confident conversations around what's real rather than what's perceived. And I think the more open and honest and transparent we can be in this space, the easier it is to push the dial culturally for companies. For those leaders just starting out on their diversity journey, what initial actions would you recommend that they focus on? Yeah, this is a really great question because it's not easy. And, you know, we've faced our own challenges in this space. It is a journey uh, for a much overused phrase, but it really is. This is part of an evolution of organisational culture. So there's no one size fits all approach. Here are a few things that we've learned through our experience at Hayes. Take a considered approach and don't dive in head first. Don't look at this necessarily as a problem to solve unless you have a systemic issue in your culture. It's not something that we faced at Hayes. And start by understanding what the definition of diversity and inclusion is in your business. Talk to your people, engage everyone in an inclusive way. It can be counterproductive inadvertently to exclude parts of your employee population in this conversation. 
you may be able to look at some things to have some very, very quick wins to put this on the map of conversation quickly. One example at Hayes is we discovered very quickly we were making it unnecessarily complicated for parents to take parental leave at Hayes. So we very quickly re-engineered our process and made that policy and procedure a lot smoother and a lot easier to engage with. That showed people very quickly we were taking this seriously in a very simple way. One other big learn that we've had is we really have to gather data about our employee population and that can be counterintuitive if you see your culture already as meritocratic. It can feel odd to go to your employees and ask for quite private information about their religious affiliation or their ethnicity. But if you can do that in a safe and anonymous way, it gives you a really good, honest shape of what your employee population looks like and where you might need to prioritise your time and your energy and resources. From that data, being able to step back and having very mature and confident conversations with the leadership around the table in your business and making it safe to have those conversations and inclusive even at that level is important. That then helps you build a business case. I think we all know intuitively that diversity and inclusion makes sense. We listed some reasons earlier in our conversation, Megan, but I think building a business case for how it can really generate greater results and greater engagement among your employee population is an important thing to do. Sometimes in HR, we assume that everyone gets that stuff because we spend all day thinking about it, but building a case and taking all of the leaders on that journey with you is important. Also, I think what's key is understanding that there are some things that every organisation is already doing really well. They might be small, but celebrate those. One thing we discovered is during our accreditation process for the National Equality Standard, over, over 100 people were interviewed in our organisation and unanimously they told us that they believed our culture was a meritocracy and they felt very supported in their careers. Now, we kind of get a little bit blasé about that, but that was something that was really worth communicating and celebrating across the wider employee population. Also prioritising. I mentioned some quick wins earlier. You can't do everything at once. It's okay so long as you're communicating what you are doing to take a measured approach and fix what you can very, very quickly and take a longer term view on the more complex issues. But accountability, consequences and progress. How are you measuring this? What are you talking about it? And most importantly, what are the people at the very top of your organisation saying about this message? This is not the domain of HR. This is a broader leadership responsibility, and I think that's really key. And finally, accept that it's going to make some people uncomfortable. This is not easy all the time, and just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is part of being a leader in an organisation. But if people feel that they're being taken along for the conversation, they're far more likely to open up. How important do you think senior stakeholder buy-in is? Is it just the C-suite's responsibility to drive this agenda forward? Now that's a really great question because of course that's where it starts. You know, it would be strange to celebrate International Women's Day, for example, in an organisation of the CEO not to send out some communication. So it's absolutely key that that stamp is, is established early on and clearly by the people at the top of the business. But it's also how you define leadership. I think every single person in an organisation has a leadership role to play and every single human being contributes to what that culture looks like. Culture is, after all, just a set of values and behaviours created by the people who are part of it. So 
the top is very important. Middle management is very important because they are often executing the strategy at the front line with people. They're having coaching conversations. They're doing performance appraisals. They are establishing career and promotion objectives for people. They are the ones with a real sense and a real finger on the pulse about what might be holding certain parts of the population back. So that's really key. But it's not just down to management and leadership. As I said, we've all got a part to play in this. And it's important that we include everyone in accountability for this. How certain people behave in an organisation with their colleagues and peers needs to be accountable. There are certain things that behaviours that aren't acceptable if you're trying to build a culture of diversity and inclusion. And you don't need to be a manager to be held accountable for that. Plus, we're all human. You know, we all have unconscious bias. That's absolutely just a fact of human nature and human behaviour. But all taking some accountability and an ownership for an awareness of that can be really, really helpful too. So we're all in it together. Now, in terms of recruiting diverse teams, what measures can businesses introduce to ensure that their recruitment and hiring processes are as inclusive as possible? This is really a really interesting space to work in and lots of conversation at the moment in the world of work around should all CVs be blind, in other words, no name, no reference to gender or background. And that might be something worth considering. It's certainly something we do in our own assessment process, that people attend an assessment centre simulating the realities of recruiting and the people assessing those individuals haven't even seen their CV at all. So wherever you can build diversity into that experience of hiring people, you will get a better result. If I take our own example, we have one person who does that initial screening and interview, someone else who attends that assessment centre, another different individual who does the post-interview thereafter, and another different individual who makes the offer wherever possible. And we try and make that group of people as diverse as we can. We're not perfect, we don't always get it right, but we certainly work towards that. Likewise, an aggregated scoring system within that assessment process is important, and those honest conversations amongst assessors after that process to share and challenge one another on their decision-making. We're also committed to unconscious bias training. We call it open mind training. And at the very least, making sure our internal influences, that everyone involved with internal hiring is trained in that and rolling that, that out more broadly to all frontline management, just so we can be aware of how that may have a negative impact on our hiring process. And once recruited, how exactly can business leaders build an inclusive culture? Well, that's my favourite question, because that's what we're all about. Loads of things that we've probably already mentioned, but let's reiterate some of them. Communicate values from the top. What do we value? That's not always written down in a policy and a procedure. Cultural norms are often unspoken. What do we celebrate and reward? And we're a sales organisation, a sales and service organisation. So that is a really important piece for us and for most organisations. So we have formal recognition, but informally, what do we say a well done for? What do we say, actually, that's unacceptable that you treat other people that way. Those things need to be clearly defined and identified. Introducing this to people right from the beginning, talking about your culture in the interview process, talking about what you value when you're hiring people. And then again, as soon as they start, as soon as you're onboarding and, and, and including people in your culture, talking about what you value. 
delivering unconscious bias training to people very, very early on and building pockets. You know, I, I use the term tribal, but building pockets of inclusiveness and, and peer groups where people feel a sense of community and a sense of belonging. It's going to engage your employees quickly. You're going to get more productivity that way. Uh, and it creates a greater transparency and accountability around behavior. Have a look at how you review performance. Again, what conversations are you having and what do you value? What are you paying bonuses for? What behaviours are you rewarding through that process? And language is so important, the power of language, what we celebrate through language and the language we encourage our employees to use. Create transparency. Organisations are now flatter and less formal than they ever have been. And that Byproduct of that is this greater demand for authenticity and transparency. We're a, a best employer on Glassdoor. Our employees at any time can review their employment experience with us unmoderated, unfiltered, anonymously, and that creates a huge drive for transparency in organisations. Embrace that. Resisting it is going to have a negative impact on diversity and inclusion. That's for sure. Thank you so much, Sandra. Those are some really, really amazing answers. And finally, and this is a question we'll be asking all of our podcast guests, what do you think are the top three qualities that make a good leader? Now, this is a great question and one I should actually find really easy to answer, but it really gave me pause to think quite a bit about this over the last, last little while. If I could try and distill all of that down to a few words, sincerity, authenticity, I think people want to trust their leaders and if we're asking people to go on a diversity and inclusion journey with us, there's got to be a lot of trust. And part of that is an openness to change. I think it's kind of dangerous if any of us think we're done, we've learned everything, it puts us in a tricky position. So regardless of our senior leader is constantly questioning, understanding we're human, being sincere about our own shortcomings at times, and being prepared to evolve and grow with the organisation, I think is really important. The second thing I'd say is energy. People respond to the energy of their leaders. And again, if we're building trust and wanting to create change, we've got to be energetic about it because that's what we expect from everyone in an organisation. And finally, probably the easiest one to say and the hardest thing to nail is consistency and clarity. Being really clear on, as a leader, who are we? Who are we as an organisation? What do we believe? What do we value? Why are we here? And that changes. Certainly in my working lifetime, I've changed. Who I am and what I stand for has changed. And the organisation I've been in for many, many years has changed and evolved. So it's got to be okay to question that, but then be really clear about who we are right now and what we're trying to achieve in this moment. It was great to have you, Sandra, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Megan. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe to receive the latest episodes straight to your device 